0: everything that we can do to worship the Lord, right? In song and in music and with our voices. I'm Pastor John Cuppinger, and uh, I'll be bringing this challenging passage to you this morning. But first, I'd like to welcome all the wee ones, the children, into the service. How you doing? You guys are going to be taking great notes, right? (laughs) I just remember um, as, you know, in churches past, we don't have kids in our service generally now, but I came from a context a few years ago where, um, in my previous church was actually more than a few years ago, but where the kids were in the service. All the kids were all in the service, and there would often be the babies crying and the things and the fussing and things like that going on, and I have to tell you, I really, there's something rich about that, and so I, I liked it. Um, so uh, I really enjoy the fact that we've got the the kiddos here uh, in the service with us today. You guys are, hopefully you get to find something in here that you can think about and take with you. Now I'm one of uh, four pastors here at WCC. We are four pastors. We're what's called a plurality. So we o- operate uh, as multiple elders uh, and all operating uh, with equal authority uh, within the church. And sur- currently the Uh, pastoral team is Pastor Dan Hardy, which you know, and he's off on sabbatical right now, hoping that he is having a fruitful and productive time. And then there's myself and Jake Pence, and Pastor Stephen Atherton, who brought you the MC this morning. and You probably know him super well. In addition, we have Chad, as you as you well know, who's who's what we call a pastor in training. Uh, some of you have shown concern about that we would put a person in the pit. And you have been wondering, like, is that really a horrible place to be? And uh, and I assure you, uh, that, as much as we would like to think of it as a gauntlet, it is actually pretty, pretty light duty, so we uh, as a at this stage of the game, pastor and training is is for Chad. It is that he's, he attends with us in all of our pastor related meetings uh, he 's involved in the process and, and he 'll do that until um, the, the overall goal is that when the time is right as when the rest of the elders determine that the time is right, we will lay hands on Chad uh, at, to be a pastor here at WCC. And so we look forward to that. Now, as, as the fourfold pastors right now, uh, we operate in various giftings and in functional roles within the church. Uh, again, all with equal authority, but doing very different things and very give, different giftedness. And so Dan and Stephen, our, our full-time staff um, uh, here, and myself and Jake are not on staff because we have other vocations outside the church, and Chad is currently on full-time as pastoral intern. So I've been on this pastor team since October of 2014, so that puts us right smack dab on about eight years uh, that I've been on the team, and, uh, and so pleased to uh, be able to serve God in this way. Now I took myself out of the preaching rotation several years ago uh due to the fact that uh my occupation was a pretty heavy lift and uh I tend to put in I don't know 50 60 hours in uh in a week and I and I consider the the privilege and the uh uh just the just the the weight of preaching to be such a big a big thing that uh I didn't want to it to play second fiddle to to the work that I do and so I Took myself out. I'm happy to be here today and uh, to bring you the Word of God out of Malachi. And I hope that that I can do this with a little bit more frequency uh, going forward. I just want to assure you all that you are a loved body. This pastoral team considers it a great privilege to minister to each one of you and to lead you in this body, each one of you, into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so uh, I'm just delighted to be able to be here with you all today and, and just pray that uh, God uses our time together for His benefit and your good. Now, as we enter into Malachi, as you could see, the, uh, the sermon title, I'm not sure did it show up or not, but I've titled this, the, the sermon uh, Justice for All. Now, people inherently have a sense of justice, don't they? Though we must acknowledge that the natural man, uh, while he has this sense of justice, it's often and most generally tainted and shaped by worldly influences. One of the first things a child says after they get through the mama and dada phase, what's one of the first things that the children say? It's not fair. Or I got that one too. That's a different sermon illustration. Um, (laughs) But it's not fair. You've heard it, Right? Maybe you've you've heard it so much, you're just wearied of it. Every skirmish, every game, someone does something or says something that's wrong, and pretty soon comes the complaint. So-and-so did this, so-and-so did that. Now, in my house, my son's almost first words were actually a sentence. And he says, he's being mean to me. So he said it really quick, and you actually had to pay attention to it. But he's being mean to me. That was was some of my son's first words. How terrible was that? How terrible a father I must have been. But my, but my son, my younger son, wanted justice. And it wasn't fair that his older brother was picking on him all the time. Now, just as Israel did in the time of Malachi, we too, as God's people, we live in a very corrupt culture. Where justice can be elusive, and most often the justice we do observe is not good justice. It's pretty flawed. So how do you, how do we, how do you view justice in our time? Do we observe justice in our culture? Do you see it in other cultures or countries? Do you believe that just justice is something you deserve? We hear a lot of the call for justice in the world these days. We will learn today that we need to be careful what we ask for. God is indeed a God of justice for everyone. Now, somewhat trivial illustration but it has a point is we all watch or at least many of us watch football on Sundays right so Sunday afternoon you go and watch a football game and these powered up guys they come into the football field and they're banging each other around and pretty soon you know you see a a skirmish going on right and and pretty soon there's helmets are flying fists are flying there's flags everywhere the laundry's on the field and and somebody gets flagged for unsportsmanlike conduct but well, you and I, we're sitting there, we're watching the replay, right? It's like, yeah, but that guy over there, he's the one who started it, right? So, you know, they don't always get it right, right? And so the takeaway from this illustration is quick judgments are often wrong. Now, examples abound where justice is not served in our society. What do we say? Is God just? Does he not care? Where is he? Why does he not make things right? What do you say? Why does he delay? Why do we view the, how do you view the fact that evil prospers in our world? Now, I have a story for you today about two sons and a father. One day, a father was working in his garage, and while his two sons were playing nearby, within sight, in the yard, And after a while, a kerfuffle ensues. And quickly, the younger son barges into the garage, interrupting his father to spout that his older brother had just clobbered him over the back with his BB gun. Junior was crying and blithering that his brother had hurt him. And now he wants Dad. He runs right up to Dad and he says, Dad, I I I want you to... Go make things right. Wants, I want you to give elder brother a whooping. And dad turns, to, turns his head to his son and looks in his son's eyes first to just observe that he's not injured. He's just insulted and angry. And he turns back to his workbench to continue what he's doing and quietly says to his son, Just go back to playing and have fun. Enjoy the weather and the day and all the good in it. We son was not happy and stormed off, not having hit, gotten his way. Clearly, justice was not served on this day. So we'll come back to this story in a little bit. I'm going to give you the breakdown for for this. You set of passage our passage today. Um, it's there's a lot going on in this passage. As as you probably as you listen to that, you're going, "Wow, there's where do we start with this?" So. Um, but before I get into that, I just want to, I want to say that some, from some of the previous sermons by Stephen and Chad and Josh earlier, what you, one of the, some of the things that you learned was Israel was in a state of despondence, and they were way off track in their view of the Lord. To them, God did not love them. God was not worthy of their honor. Their worship was casual and faithless, and obedience was not to be found. And in today's passage, the Lord takes on more insult as the people accuse him of being unjust, and they even wonder where he is. The sermon title is, again, Justice for All. Kind of sounded good, kind of catchy, just came to me. Kelly was like, I need a sermon title, John. And it's like, I don't have a sermon title. And she and I said, I'll just make one up just come to me justice for all with liberty and justice for all right out of pledge allegiance but from our text today we gather that the lord is judge and he will judge everyone with justice for all some of the other key messages from this passage if you want to jot them down is the lord is a refiner's fire we learn in this passage that the heart of god is to refine and purify his people We also have to grapple with the question, should we be calling for God's justice or his mercy? Israel, on this point, had gotten it very wrong. So now my outline, as I was starting to refer to earlier, is going to break this passage into four parts, four C's. Because everybody's, you know, every pastor's got to break it down into something that, you know, some alliteration there, right? So I've got four C's. First is conforming, that Israel conforms to the culture around them. God's correction, that is, the Lord corrects Israel. The courtroom, the Lord will judge his people, Israel. And coming, the Lord is coming again. Let's pray. Lord God in heaven above, I thank you for your goodness, for your kindness. I pray, God thanking you for a continual supply of truth from your word. And I pray, God, that all of the truth from the word that we get to hear today and at other days and in our everyday life, God, that you would attend it by your spirit and make it alive unto us. God, that we could be more like you and we could learn more of you, be more faithful to you, and God, that you be honored. So, God, I pray that you be honored today. God, be with us, and I pray, God, that you would... Strengthen your saints and quicken and convict the hearts of those who have not yet professed their faith in you. So, God, join with us in this time, I pray, and enliven us unto yourself. In your precious name, amen. Now, Old Testament Israel was a particularly stubborn and rebellious people. A 30,000 foot view of the Old Testament shows that Israel, God's chosen people, ebbed and flowed in their relationship with the Lord and diverged into worshiping and serving false gods. The gods of the nations around them, the worship of Baal and Asherah and others was prominent. They mixed the worship of the Lord with the worship of false gods, even sacrificing their own children on occasion. Much of the Old Testament is a cycle of the Lord judging His people for disobedience and false worship. And Israel, on occasion, repenting, the Lord would restore and bless Israel, and then this cycle continued many times. Now, Deuteronomy 32, 16 through 20, says this. They made him jealous with their foreign gods and angered him with their detestable idols. They sacrificed to false gods, which are not God, gods they had not known, gods that recently appeared, gods your ante- ancestors did not fear. You deserted the rock You, who fathered you, who... Who who, you forgot the God who gave you birth. The Lord saw this and rejected them because he was angered by his sons and daughters. I will hide my face from them, he said, and see what their end will be, for they are a perverse generation, children who are unfaithful. But at the time of Malachi, the nation of Israel was not actively worshiping idols. They were coming off of being in exile for 70 years in Babylon. Being back in Judah and slash Jerusalem for about 85 years at the time of Malachi being written. They lived in Jerusalem and Judah and were governed by foreign leaders. The temple was rebuilt, but as you've heard from previous messages, it was not the glorious temple they, that they used to have. Their worship had become dull and listless half-hearted, and corrupt. As you have heard, they, they offered unacceptable offerings. They offered up the sick, the lame, or otherwise imperfect sacrifices. They dishonored the Lord. They dealt treacherously with each other, divorcing their native wives and marrying foreign women. They were conforming to the culture Around them, they accused the Lord of promoting evil and injustice, and wondered where He was. Why is He silent? To them, God was not near. They had lost their hope and their reverence for the Lord. To them, worship had just become routine. Today, in this passage, Malachi two seventeen through three five, Israel has put themselves in a position to judge the Lord, saying, the Lord delights in injustice, that he delights in evil. Where is the Lord of justice? These are the blasphemous taunts of a people immersed in their own sin. And the Lord is wearied of them. He has had about enough. The Lord is greatly displeased with his people, and he will not endure this forever. He is on the threshold of telling them something new, and He has a message for them. Now let's dive into the passage and get into the outline that we showed earlier, and we're going to start with Israel conforming out of Malachi 2.17. says, you have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, how have we wearied Him? By saying, Everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord. He delights, and he delights in them. Or by asking, Where is the God of justice? Are they right to accuse the Lord of injustice? Thank you. That was good. (laughs) Israel put themselves in a position of witness and judge against the Lord. A little bit out of whack, wouldn't you agree? Not only did they usurp the Lord's position, they blasphemed His character. Deuteronomy 32, 4-6 says, He is the rock, His works are perfect, and all of His ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is He. They are corrupt and not His children. To their shame they are a warped and crooked generation. Is this the way you repay the Lord, you foolish and unwise people? Is He not your Father, your Creator, who made you and formed you? It was a mockery that the very people of God, created by God, would put themselves in a position above Him to judge Him. But they knew the Scriptures very well. They, they of all people, knew from childhood that their God isn't just God. And they accused Him of not being present. Where is He? Why does He delay justice? was his delay a sign that he was absent and lost interest second peter 3 8 through 9 says this but do not forget this one thing dear friends with the lord a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day the lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness instead he is patient with you not wanting anyone to perish but everyone to come to repentance. The Lord is not slow. He is purposeful. His delay is love. He delays in order to give opportunity for all of his people to turn to him. Also, Israel is acting just like the nations around them out of Malachi 3.5, the second part of it. It says, I will be swift against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, "...against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner, and do not fear me," says the Lord of hosts. Israel has conformed to the surrounding culture and was guilty of all of these things. They want justice, sure. As long as the judgment is on others, them out there, little did they realize but obviously they should have, that the Lord has his eye on them, and he always has. Did they really want justice to be served on themselves? I don't think that they were thinking that way when they accused the Lord. Do you find yourself doing this, calling for the Lord's judgment on the wayward world? Jesus taught it like this out of Luke 18. tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes up to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you that this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted." What was Israel's sin in these accusations against the Lord? I can count at least five. Maybe you can come up with more. But I'll give them to you as I see them. One, the first one, they were just flat wrong. God is just. Two, they're wrong to judge God. They usurped His role. God is judge. Three, they wanted to see God judge the nations. They wanted justice. For others, not themselves, they were good at pointing the finger. Four, they had no mercy or love for the people around them, for the vulnerable, the common person, for the widow, the fatherless, the wage earner, and foreigner. And five, they had no fear or reverence for the Lord. And that was probably the worst of all. In their arrogant, blasphemous view, the Lord was not doing his job, and was not on his throne, and could no longer be relied upon. They should have realized that they were guilty of the same things. They were doing all of the same evils. If they had feared the Lord, then they would have come to him asking for mercy. The Lord would have loved that. Israel had become just like the people and culture in which they lived and were surrounded by. Now comes the correction of the Lord to his people. Malachi 2, 3, Malachi 3, 2 through 3 says this, but who can endure the day of his coming and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like a fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. You see, God's people misunderstood. They wanted to see judgment and justice real time, right now. Sounds like our society today, doesn't it? They wanted to see justice applied to the nations. They wanted to see evil in other people punished. The Lord will will certainly punish everything. Justice one day will be done for all. It will prevail. But here, God is more interested in the purity of his people. The coming judgment is, of his judgment is a frightful thing. No one can endure it. The day of the Lord speaks to his coming in judgment. Amos 5.18 says, Woe to you who long for the day of the Lord. Why do you long for the day of the Lord? That way day will be darkness, not light. And he comes to judge his people, starting with the Levites, who participated in and condoned the unfaithful worship of the Lord. 1 Peter 4.17 says this, It is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? The judgment of the Lord for his people is for refining and purification, not destruction. Key, Key point. The judgment of his people is is likened to that of of refining and purifying precious metals like gold or silver. The process requires fire, heat, very high heat, enough to melt metals, not so hot as so to, to destroy the precious metal. You see, the precious metal is heavier and more weighty, and once the metals are molten or liquid, the impurities will rise to the top where they can be skimmed off, leaving only the precious metal behind. The refiner sits and carefully attends the fire to ensure that the fire is intensely hot enough for the impurities to separate and rise to the top, but not so intense as to destroy or damage the precious metal. The fire of his refining for his people is not destructive. It is purifying, You see, a forest fire destroys indiscriminately. An incinerator destroys completely. A refiner's fire preserves that which is valuable. The precious metal is not consumed. The precious metal is God's people. A launderer's soap is much the same. The soap loosens and separates and pulls the dirt and oils from the cloth, leaving only the valuable cloth behind. The process involves beating and scrubbing and labor. Through careful, attentive labor, the cloth emerges clean and undamaged. Israel at this point did not understand that the Lord's will was to refine and purify them. You know, a, a just God could just do away with everyone, for all of them, all of us, are sinful why doesn't he destroy his people in judgment? You see, the Lord is a covenant-keeping God, a promise-keeping God, and he had made a covenant with Israel. In Genesis 12, 2, he says this, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. And the Lord reasserts in Malachi 1, verse 2, I have loved you, says the Lord the refiner's fire it produces a pure product blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see god amen if israel had understood this they would likely not they would likely very likely have or at least they should have should have called upon god's mercy not his judgment now we come to the heavenly courtroom his courtroom the place where the Lord exercises His judgment. Malachi 3.5 says, and I've got two verses here. They say it a little bit differently, so I thought it was good to show both. The NIV says, so I will come and put you on trial. The ESV says, I will draw near to you for judgment. Both of these are phenomenal translations, actually. Drawing near to us. He is near to us. Up to this point, Israel had put themselves in this courtroom scene as the witness and judge against the Lord. Now, here in this passage, the Lord asserts himself as judge. And he's saying to Israel, get out of my seat. You are the defendant, and I am the judge and the witness. Moving quickly from the courtroom to the stunning declaration that he is coming. Malachi 3.1 And verses 3 through 4 say, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant, in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord. And they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord, as in the days of old. As in former years, this may very well have blown the Israelites' minds. Now, Israel was there, weak and unfaithful, but they were seeking the Lord. And in weakness, they were serving in weakness and unfaithfulness, but they still had a desire for the Lord. And the Lord says here, He is coming. After languishing in stale worship for over 80 years, Since their return from exile, the Lord declares he is coming to them. There is hope. There's more to the story. And he will send his messenger to prepare the way for him to come. But wait. Suddenly in Scripture usually means something bad or that there is a terror to come. Yes, there would be a terror to come for those who would refuse him. There are three messengers in the book of Malachi. One you already know well. Malachi, the prophet author of this book, whose very name means messenger. Two new messengers are introduced in our passage today. Extra bonus material, right? My messenger here in this passage, this messenger is John the Baptist. Malachi 4, 5 through 6 says, Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, Before the great and awesome day, the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. John the Baptist prepared the way for the Lord's coming. Now, the messenger of the covenant is the Lord Jesus Christ, and he would come as a mediator of a new covenant to replace the sacrifices and system of worship of the Old Testament, and he becomes the new temple. The Lord, the messenger of the covenant, will come and reestablish true worship with his people. The Lord Jesus Christ did indeed come as the messenger of the new covenant, the beauty and goodness and grace in which we now stand. The Lord is patiently bearing with his people to come to him and worship Him faithfully. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. You see, in the new covenant, the just punishment, judgment, and wrath for all the sins of all His people has been poured out on the Lord Jesus Christ. He is now more than judge and witness. In the heavenly courtroom, He has now taken our place as defendant. And the righteous punishments, the pain, suffering, and death have been put upon Him to bear. The, right, the requirement of judgment and punishment for, sin, for our sins has been satisfied through the cross. Would Israel receive Him? Will you receive Him? Will you repent and believe? Now let's get back to the story of the father and the two sons, where the younger son had demanded his father punish his brother. Later that day, when the father and younger son had a time of quiet with just them, the father says to his son Son, now about your earlier plea. Do you still want me to discipline your brother? You have asked me, and I will certainly decide. Let me ask you, my son, do you want justice or mercy for you? Young son shrinks back, thinking to himself, he's busted. He blurts out, Dad, Dad, I'm so sorry. I started it. I shot him with the BB gun seven times, and that's why he clobbered me with it. (laughs) Dad responds and says, I know, son. I saw the whole thing. You see, our Lord is not in a hurry to judge. His delay reflects His great love for His people, each one of us. His delay is love. A loving Father desiring His people to return to Him. He will suffer long so that not a single one of His sons or His daughters will perish. And today we live in a time of God's continued patience. We are in a period of, of purpose, purposeful patience. Three Ps. So how does this apply to us today? I have a few charges for you, dear friends, brothers, and sisters of Windsor Community Church. Maybe more than just a few. I didn't even number them, so you'll have to keep track. There's a number with so many, I could not even number them all. <laughs> the first one is, let us be a people. first, and foremost, who are single-mindedly and wholeheartedly devoted to the Lord. This is what the Lord wants from us. Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. Another one, do you, do we, desire judgment or mercy? How do we behave in this world? You see, it was a quality of unfaithfulness for Israel to desire judgment over mercy. One of the qualities of a a Christian is that he shows mercy and compassion towards others. James 2.13 says, Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Let us be a people who desire mercy for everyone, and not judgment. Next, let us be a people who live godly lives. I have a long passage here, but I think it's all beautiful and good. So we'll read it together. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the, heaven, of the heavens by fire, and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, we are, we are looking forward to this. Make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. In this period of his purposeful patience, we ought to live upright and worshipful lives and look forward to his second coming, knowing that he will not delay forever. Be encouraged. He is coming again soon. And remember that his delay is love and will result in the salvation of many. Let us be a people who have a heart for the foreigner, a heart of mercy and not judgment. One of the sins listed in Malachi is that they deprive the foreigners among them of justice. Back in the Old Testament, the sojourner was someone who was not a native Israelite, but came to them from the outside, and these people would have their own god or gods from wherever they had come from. And in this circumstance, as aliens They actually needed some help. They needed a safe place and maybe some provisions, maybe a place to stay. Sojourners depended on their generosity. The Lord wanted Israel to receive them, not to reject them or cast them out. A foreigner to us today can be similar, can be somebody who comes to us that is different from us, maybe from a different land, maybe from here. They may be rough. They may be needy, they may be poor, they may have issues, they may be godless, they might even be God-hating. The Lord wants us to receive them, to show them the love and mercy of heaven. I had one such situation recently where I have a foreigner in my life, and I've been more than willing to pray for him and have been for months. More recently, though, the Holy Spirit has changed my heart to embrace this fellow, to open my heart to him, to actually spend intentional time with him, and to resolve to show him Christ, to lead him to Christ. Let's be a people who who open our hearts to the foreigner. Next, Let us be a people who are devoted to justice ourselves, to be in salt and light in this world. Micah 6.8 says, He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, to love kindness or mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Let us influence this world as believers and as a church by being salt and light. Likewise, Let us not be people to join with the worldly, the corrupt, in their endeavors to impose justice on others, as we see so many do. So how can we be sure to experience the fire of God as refining and not consuming? Israel has demonstrated for hundreds of years, and you know it too, that we cannot get rid of our own sin. That's what God as a refining fire does. If it takes the merciful fire of God to destroy the rebellion of sin, what can man do to have that mercy? He must trust in the purifying mercy of God. Or to put it the way Malachi puts it, over and over again, fear God. Trust in the goodness of God. Believe that His ways are the ways to infinite joy. Don't doubt Him as refiner. The way to experience the fire of Christ as refining and not consuming is to trust his promise to bring us through the fire to endless joy. Salvation is by grace through faith in the purifying mercy of God. So what is it like in this refiner's fire? Life in the refiner's fire is, is a life of trust in the unchanging, purifying love of God. But know this, that the refiner's fire, this refining process, is not painless. Purity comes through the refining fire, and it is not possible to become pure painlessly. We need to be a a pain-engaging people, not a pain-avoiding people. Pain or trials have a purpose. There will be fire for you in, in trials and in, in what the Lord calls discipline. One passage in the New Testament, first Peter one six through seven says in this, you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the testing tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor." at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Trials are hard. We all experience them. None of us are spared the experience. People get sick. They get injured. Our friends or loved ones die. We suffer losses, money, possessions, jobs, status. We have accidents and cause injury and damage and loss and pain. Why do these things happen? why did this happen to me? Remember his promises. He will never leave you nor forsake you. And he works out all things together for good. More than anything else, we need the unshakable trust that all the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness. This faith is a gift from the Lord. Now in closing, I would love it as takeaways if you, would, if you would take away these five things. Out of everything that we've talked about, it comes down to this. One, his delay, is love. God's delay then and God's delay now demonstrates his great love for his people, that none will be lost, but all will come to repentance. Two, he is the refiner's fire for his people. God's great plan is to purify His people. This is His current focus, not to bring temporal justice to the nations. Three, God's justice is for all. Either you will belong to Him, pure and holy through the person and work of Christ, our Lord and Savior, or you will be among the scoffers who revile Him and will receive eternal punishment for rejecting Him. He is a refining fire, a purifying fire for those who fear him, and he is a judge of condemnation for those who do not fear him. Four, he wants you to live godly lives. He wants his people to reflect his character and represent him to this world, to be salt and light. Five, he wants you to open your heart to the lost, the foreigner, the godless of our world. Now, if you're not one of God's people today that is professing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, repenting and turning from your sins and turning to Him for forgiveness, believing and living living by faith in Jesus, then I urge you to seek the Lord, to draw near to Him, to believe in Him. Jeremiah 29 says this, You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. Mm, Let's pray. Lord God, your word is good. We are humbled that you have been so gracious as to fulfill Even more, the Old Covenant with this New Covenant, this New Covenant that says, I will be the sacrifice. I will pay the price. And you did. God, help us to realize the the beauty and the gravity of you, our God, who humbled himself in pain and suffering and death, spilling your blood on our behalf. God, I pray that you would enliven our hearts today to, to look forward to this next coming, your second coming, and to, with all, with all diligence, to put you first, to make you the first in every way in our lives. God, to glorify you, to be patient for your return, and to do your work until you, until you come back again